Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And we want to celebrate that this morning, that he gave his life for us. So we want to give back to him. We want to lay down our hearts this morning and sing our praise to our great Savior. Here we go.
to you this morning. As you laid down your life for us, you gave it all for each person here, for everyone in the world. You are the one true Savior. And I pray that we would desire to lay down our lives for you, for each other. We just thank you that although you are so high and holy, that you are here with us. And we just pray that you would open our eyes to see how great and awesome you are and how great your love is. We just pray this all in your name. Amen. Would you please have a seat? My name is Mike. I get a chance to work with a senior high here and do a bunch of other things. And I, I just really love our staff. Blair's actually gone this weekend. But I just want to start off by just saying thank you for being here this morning. I know it's dreary, it's rainy. But I was praying last night and I was sitting there and I was laying awake. And I thought to myself, God, who, whoever's there tomorrow, this is no accident. I believe every Sunday that we're here, it's no accident because we have an opportunity to grow together. You have an opportunity after service to talk to people who might be dealing with similar things that you're going through. And we always have these opportunities to connect and sometimes it's so hard to do amidst the busy schedule. So I don't think it's an accident that you're here and, and I just want to say thank you. And if you're new here, we want to welcome you here this morning. It's a, so we're just honored to have you. I want to put a date up on the screen to start off. And this date, uh, I'll explain it. How many of you guys would say, if you were asking yourself, that you want to grow closer to God? You don't have to raise your hand, but let's say, just in your mind, you want to grow closer to God. That's something that you value. Maybe you don't even, you're not sure about this whole God thing. You're not sure about Jesus and what he did for you. And, and you're, kind of, you're kind of wrestling through this. But ask yourself this, how many of you would say, that you want to grow closer to God. I think most of us would want to pursue good things. We'd want to pursue the things of God, love. We'd want to pursue hope, peace, all those different things. This date for me was a stake in the ground. I don't know if you've ever put a stake in the ground where you've said, I'm going to make a commitment to, to growing closer to God, to making my life better, to adding peace to my life, to adding love to my life, to adding kindness to my life. I don't know if you've ever done that. You see, we've all probably put a stake in the ground, and usually it's New Year's, <laughs> where it's January 1st, you got your plan set, you know, you know that you're going to lose that 15, 15 pounds. In fact, my wife is uh, 38 weeks pregnant, and the other day she said, well, you just don't know what it's like. And I had not said anything to her, but she said, you don't know what it's like carrying 15 extra pounds around. And she said, actually, yeah, you do. And I said, okay, wow. So shots are fired, which she has a point right there, but... New Year's is always a time where you're making this, this commitment that you're going to change. You're going to lose the weight. You're going to go running. You're going to do all these crazy things. And you put that stake in the ground, and things are going pretty well for the first two and a half weeks. I've been there. I mean, I'm out running. I'm out exercising. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm looking at my muscles in the mirror even though I don't have any. I mean, it's just that is an exciting time because you're going for it. Well, what happens two, week, two and a half weeks in when you realize, I don't think I can keep up with this? Have you ever put a stake in the ground Spiritually is what I'm talking about. That moment where you say, I'm done with this. Maybe for some people it's been that moment where they took time to go get help because they were struggling with alcohol. I had an uncle that did that. He put a stake in the ground. He was struggling with drugs. 
He put a stake in the ground. He said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm getting the help I need. Maybe for some of you, it's, I want to be a better husband. I'm going to put that stake in the ground. I'm going to work hard to hear my wife. I'm going to make sure that she feels valued. September 26 was a stake for me. For two years now, I've been struggling with something, and I can't seem to get past it. And it's this whole thing. I've talked about this up on stage, but it's, it's this idea of worry for me. I worry about a lot of different things. Like, I'll probably go home and worry about something I said today. I worry about a ton of different things, and the enemy has lied to me in so many different ways about these worries. Just little things. And for two years now, it's been heavy. It's always been a part of my life, but it's been heavy. And I, I've, I've really struggled to carry this. And I, I think that, I always tell Megan, people probably wouldn't know this about me until I talk about it, but I really struggle with a lot of worry. I, I always worry about different things. And I don't know if you've ever had something where you've struggled so bad and you know that God doesn't want, want you to stay in that same place, but you just, you keep staying there because the enemy's really good. And, and you think, I'm never going to be able to get past this. I'm never going to be able to get, beat this. I don't know what that looks for you, but, but for me it was worry. So September 26, I had a conversation with Megan, and I said something, and I saw her get really upset because she knew that I was worrying about this thing that I shouldn't have. And I saw her get really upset, and she looked at me, and she said, it's always the same. She's like, you keep saying you're going to get past this. You keep saying you're going to work hard. You're going to change. You're going to let some of this stuff go, and you're not doing it. And I knew in that moment that I had tugged a heartstring because she had started crying. And she's like, oh my gosh, please let this stuff go. You have to let some of this worry go. It's the first time, first time in two years where I saw how deeply this has affected my family. That night I went and I got on my knees and I literally cried out to God as I've done before. I just said, God, I, I desperately need you. Clearly, I, clearly my wife has seen this worry and it's affected her. I don't want my son to grow up. I'm, ha- I'm going to have another son. I don't want them to grow up and have to see me worried about every little thing when you're in control, God. And I cried out to him that night and it hit me. The next definition that's going to come up on the screen is what I've been and I think what some of us have been. It's my favorite definition because I think it works in your spiritual life. The definition of insanity. You know what that is? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Going back to my first question, do you want to grow closer to God? My question is, this, is this you? Are you doing the same things over and over to God? You're asking God to change you. You're asking God to come in your life and do something different and grow you closer to him. But you're not changing anything about your routine. You're not changing anything about your schedule. You're not changing anything about your life. I used to challenge students, I would say, you have to change something to change. Because that is what happens in our lives. I think at times we're all spiritually insane. Because I'm looking at my life and I want to grow closer to God. And that night I put the stake in the ground, September 26th, three days after my son's second birthday. I put that stake in the ground that night and I got on my knees and I said, here's the deal, God. I need your help because I can't do this. But I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change stuff. I'm going to make sure that you see effort. You want to see somebody that's hungry for more of you. We do not have to be spiritually insane, but I tell you what, I think most of us could identify with some of this stuff. We want to grow closer to God, but we're doing the exact same thing. It's a very scary place to get in, and this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about what change looks like and the best form that we can find true change. You see, God's not into behavior modification. God's into soul transformation. So what does this mean? 
you can come and you can do all the right things. You can stand. You can raise your hands. You can, you can live this, this thing and make sure everything's good. But if God's hand is not in it, you're never going to experience soul transformation. Because he's not just about behavior modification. He's about soul transformation. He's about the deeper things of the heart. He wants to move in my life and he wants to move in your life. And no matter where you're at, if things are really, really bad right now and you're crying out to God and you're saying, please help me, or things are incredibly good, they couldn't be better, life is awesome, he is saying, run to me, because without Jesus, we are nothing, we know this, we needed him desperately, so he's not about this behavior modification as much as he's into soul transformation, I want you to keep that in mind. A couple things before we begin also I want you to keep in mind is that A, change is extremely hard. If you've ever tried to go on a diet and say, I'm not going to drink pop for a month because that's been me before, three weeks later I see a delicious Mountain Dew, I'll be honest, I'm having that Mountain Dew. Change is very hard. In fact, I want you to think of your life and the routine. What if you were to change your routine? What if you were to change things about your life? How hard would that be? If you've ever changed a job, very difficult because you're not used to exactly what you've been used to. Change is really hard. The second thing is God does not operate like a genie. That's one thing I've discovered. I don't know how many times I've called out to God and said, Lord, please, why am I like this? Take this away from me. And I wake up the next morning and I'm the same person. Now, God can truly do this and we're going to jump into this. But he doesn't operate like a genie. He can absolutely change your life. He's got the power and we're going to take a look. But he doesn't operate like a genie. Keep that in mind. And the last thing is that God has greater plans for you. Like I said, if things are bad or things are good, he has greater plans for you. I want to dive in to a very popular story. It's in Luke 19, 1 to 10. Most of you have probably heard it. If we could jump into that. This is the first part of what I see God doing in the Bible and how he's using change to elevate people to him. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, this is what it says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. As we know, Zacchaeus, not a good guy, ripping people off. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, like me, he probably would, I probably had to do the same thing, climb the sycamore tree. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Oh, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount, Jesus said. To, or Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Can we go back to the first uh, part of Luke real quick? And I want to just the things that are highlighted, I want you to look. I highlighted the things that Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. That's the first thing. See, we think this story is all about Jesus calling down to Zacchaeus. And while it is because... Jesus is the one that's going to transform him. A big part of the story is the highlights right here. Because Zacchaeus took the steps. You see, he wanted to see Jesus. He ran ahead. He climbed that sycamore fig tree. He came down 
and he welcomed Jesus gladly. If we could go to the next slide. And then Zacchaeus, he stood up, and he even said, I will give half of my possessions back. In fact, I will pay back four times the amount. So the first part of change is perfect with Zacchaeus, because this is exactly what he did. Change takes effort. Change in your life and in my life takes a willingness. You see, if Zacchaeus would have never wanted to see Jesus, I'm not sure the story would have went the same way. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And he wasn't a very big guy, so he had to climb that tree. He had to make sure that he was going to get the best possible view of Jesus. And Jesus took notice of that. Hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down? Because I, I see your willingness. I see your hunger to change. I'm going to change you. I can make a difference in your life. You don't have to be the same person that you were, the tax collector that everybody hates. You don't have to be that person because you were willing. So the first part of change, as we know, is change. It takes effort. It takes willingness. In Colossians 1.6, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So you might say, well, what does this mean? What if I told you that who you are is solely dependent on who Jesus thinks you are? Let me say that again. What if I told you that who you are is solely dependent on who Jesus says you are? Which means whatever your background, Jesus can use you. Whatever your problems, Jesus can use you. Whatever things has happened in the past, Jesus can use you. And I want to prove to you that this can happen by giving you the worst of the worst and showing you how God changed. In Acts 1, 9 through 19, I want to read you this. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. We all know about Saul against the Lord's disciples, doing terrible things. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This guy's no joke. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, which would be terrifying. So they laid him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who come on your name. But the Lord then said to Ananias, Ananias, I'm sorry, I keep saying that wrong. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. 
he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So you're looking at this. You're thinking, wait a minute. I thought you just said that change takes effort. Well, change does take effort. And I also want to remind you before we start thinking we can do this on our own, because that's what New Year's resolutions are. You cannot change yourself is the second part of change. Now, you're thinking right now, this does not make a whole lot of sense, does it? Because you just said I can change, but now you're saying, well, am I not supposed to do anything? Well, go back to how God does not operate like a genie. You see, here's the deal. God wants the willing. He wants the people that want to change, but he's the only one that can change. So many times, so many times I have tried to change myself. And I'll tell you this, so many times I've tried to change other people. I don't know if you know someone that's not a Christian. They're not walking with the Lord. And you do everything you can to encourage them, to love them, to challenge them. And you don't see any fruit in their life. And you don't see them inching towards Jesus at all. And you get so discouraged. And you're thinking, man, how are they not changing? Like, I'm working hard. I'm trying to change them. Like, things should be good. Like, I do this with the senior high. I'll, I'll give a message. And then I might get on social media. And I see something that somebody said. And I'm like, oh, man, we just talked about, you know, this. Why did you mess up? And it hits me in that moment, and God says, you're not, you're not responsible for, for their change. I'm the only one that can change them. When you look at this idea of change, it simply takes effort, and you really cannot change yourself. In fact, I want to show you the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want to show you the power of Jesus in a couple examples and some healings. So we're going to look at a couple healings of Jesus. In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, Jesus heals a leper in Galilee. These are all miracles, unbelievable miracles. Jesus heals a centurion servant in Matthew 8, 5, 13. Jesus heals a man with unclean spirit, with an unclean spirit in Mark 1, 23 to 128. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law in Matthew 8, 14 and 15. Jesus rises the widow's son from the dead in Luke 7, 11 through 16. And Jesus heals the blind men at Bethsaida in Mark 8, 22 to 26. If you go down, Jesus heals a mute demonic at Galilee in Matthew 9, 32 through 34. Jesus heals two blind men at Capernaum in Matthew 9, 27, Capernaum, I'm sorry, Matthew 9, 27, 31. Jesus heals two blind men departing from Jericho in Matthew 20, 29 through 34. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Can't imagine being there for that. John 11, 19 to 28, and Jesus heals a woman at Capernaum. In Luke 8.43, it's 8.48. And I'd like to highlight that verse because I want to show you today the God that you serve, the power that Jesus has. I want to show you that with this next verse. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. This lady dealing with this very disappointing thing, this would, have been a, this would not have been good. She has been miserable for her life, basically at least for 12 years, and she's dealing with this thing, and nobody can, nobody can heal her. She's tried. She spent all her living. Can you imagine working just so that you can feel okay? This woman is doing exactly that. And she came up behind, behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. She literally touches Jesus' garment, and the blood ceases. And Jesus said, hey, who, who was it that touched me? can't imagine. When all denied, Peter says, Master, the crowds, they're surrounding you. They're, they're everywhere. They're pressing up against you. Jesus said, no, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. 
when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. Falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The God that you serve is the same God that healed all those people. The same God that has so much power that he actually didn't even have to lay his hands on anybody. That lady touched his garment and she was healed. This is the God that you serve. Can I get real serious with you and ask you something today? I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what's gotten in your life. I don't know what's been the things that have put a wedge between maybe you and your spouse or you and your kids or you and your coworkers or maybe even you and God. I'm not quite sure. I know for myself that worry has placed a lack of trust in God. It's caused a wedge for two years. And I've been working hard, and I'm, I'm working hard, and there's been so many moments, like I said, I've cried out to God, and I said, Lord, seriously, I don't, like, I don't like the way I am. Could you just change me? That'd be great. And then I wake up, and I do the same things. And there's other moments where I do the exact opposite, and I say, that's it. I'm putting a stake in the ground, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this happen. And God, you can be a part if you want or not, because I'm going to do this. And maybe if you're a very driven person, that's your personality. You don't need God's help, because you're going to put that stake in the ground, and everything's going to be okay. And God's looking at you and saying, hey, here's the deal. You can put the stake in the ground all you want. But if you don't choose to invite me in, to the, whole, the Holy Spirit in, nothing is ever going to happen. There was a lady that was involved in these churches in Africa and things, good things were happening. People were coming out of the woodworks. People were knowing Jesus. There was thousands that were coming to this church. Everything, just amazing things were happening. Other people were asking her, hey, we, we feel like the Holy Spirit is here, present in your building, present in your life, present amongst your people. What's, what's the secret? You know what she said? She looked right at that person and she said, we invited him here. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, that amazing power of the Trinity can work in your life because he's the exact same God that healed those lepers that made those people see, that rose someone from the dead. And he defeated sin and death, and he himself rose to the dead. And I think the greatest change that God ever made was the change that he didn't have to make. And it was this. He was sitting on the throne as king, and he came down to hang on the cross as victim. And he did that, and he painted that exact picture so that you and me could know that despite the best circumstance or the worst circumstance, he's already won because he was king and he died king and he rose king. You might think, why would he ever choose to use me? Like I'm just some random person. Why would it even matter about changing me because why, why would I change? Like I'm just this ra random person. Can I, can I show you a quick story? I think there's some serious power in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. I don't think it's by accident. This is exactly what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and, want, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her, colt by her, until them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Sorry, I lost my place. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought, it, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches for the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Why did I highlight the donkey? The donkey, in my opinion, is a very crucial picture that Jesus was trying to paint. See, that donkey woke up a donkey that day. It was a donkey, nothing more than a donkey. Tomorrow, it's going to be a donkey. For the rest of time, it was going to be a donkey. Jesus chose to sit on that donkey. He went into town, and suddenly that donkey became the carrier of the king. This is powerful stuff because I'm telling you, God chose to partner with a donkey in that moment. Which means to me, if God can partner with a donkey to carry the king, then how much more does he want to partner with us to carry the king wherever we go? You want to go into your workplace, you carry the king. You want to go into your schools, you carry the king. You want to go home to your wife, you carry the king. If God chose a donkey to, who literally had no purpose essentially, was a donkey probably, I don't, who knows what he was eating. Not good stuff, I can tell you, not stuff that I would want to be eating. And I've eaten at the Golden Corral. So anyways, but I'm telling you, in this moment, God picked a donkey. To me, I'm blown away because I want to carry the king just like that donkey carried the king. I was born a sinner. You were born a sinner. But I tell you what happened. I asked Jesus to be in my life. And in that moment, I chose to carry him wherever, wherever I go. I want people to know that I identify with him. The last thing of change is simply this. Change involves a partnership. I've had the chance the last couple months to be mentored by a guy named Lamoris Crawford. He's the, uh, he's the Cincinnati Bengals chaplain. And I've gotten a chance to talk to him on the phone. And, and he's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's given me this idea of this partnership that we forget about so often. We forget that we're partnering with God on this journey. Blair said it before, it's so true. This is not you out just to make God look known. This isn't God just using you. This is God saying, I wanna partner with you. I want you to be that donkey that carries me everywhere. I want you to be the person that loves your wife better. I want you to be the person that loves your kids better. I want you to be the person that shows your coworkers who I am because you're carrying me wherever you go. And this thing is a partnership. And if I could sit and look at you and say, oh, this change thing, it's really easy, right? Because, you know, you just, you just kind of start changing and 28 days later you got a habit form. I'm telling you this, as we know, change is very hard. And you don't just wake up with a fruit tree. If you want your life to produce fruit, you got to plant some seeds. What does this mean? This simply means the seeds that you plant are going to harvest and grow into a fruit tree. In fact, Adam had a fruit tree in the garden. And he sinned and then he had to work for it. And that's where we're at. We have to work for it. That means you have to dive into the scripture and meditate on God's word. That means you need to be talking to him. That means you need to invite the Holy Spirit into whatever situation you're dealing with. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is invited. September 26th, I put that stake in the ground and I invited the Holy Spirit into my life. 
and I've, I've had him in my life, but I wanted to make that known that night. I said, Holy Spirit, you're invited into my mind because I'm not going to deal with this worry the rest of my life. And here's the deal. I can make the excuse and say this is just who I am and this is a part of me. I invited the Holy Spirit in that moment, and I've actually taken some action as well. But you know what's interesting about change? On the night of September 26, 2017, in the same moment that I put the stake in the ground, the enemy put the stake in the ground too. And he stabbed that thing in the ground and he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes at all costs to not let you move forward, Mike, because I got plans for you also. Change is incredibly, incredibly hard. I'd like to end with this. This statement, and if you don't hear anything else, at least hear this, because I really believe it's to be true. I don't believe that you're ever going to truly change until you fully surrender. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know the, the stuff you're dealing with. I don't know the, the demons that you maybe have, the struggles that you have. But I can tell you, you can't change yourself. And until you fully surrender to God and ask him to come into your heart and change those things, you'll never even start the process. Yeah, you might work and things get better for a little bit and then they go back. And, and maybe these struggles are always going to be there. That's fine. I know the struggle of worry for me is always going to be there. And I have a buddy that always says this. It can be a temptation in your life. It doesn't always have to be a struggle. And I believe that to be true. I don't know what you're walking through, but whatever you're tempted by, whatever the thing that is just really getting at you, it doesn't always have to be a struggle. It can be a battle, but I believe that Jesus already won. And the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and he wants to change you and he wants you to know that it's a partnership. Don't feel alone. I don't know if you've ever felt alone. Don't feel alone because the Holy Spirit wants to partner with you. But he's also calling you to be a Zacchaeus. He's also calling you to climb up that tree. I'd like to invite the, van, the band up here, and as they, they come up, I'd, I'd like to give you a, a quick moment. And I, they're going to just kind of play a little bit of music for about a minute. And as we have a minute, as we're getting close to the end, what I'd love for you to do is to be able just to bow your head. And I want you to take a moment for yourself, not with my voice, not with anyone else's voice. And I want you to ask God to reveal you, reveal to you what he wants you to change. Because God doesn't want you to be the same person that you are today. He wants you to be better. He's got greater plans for your life. Things might be going extremely well right now. They might be great with your spouse. They might be great with your kids. The job is incredible. The vacations are awesome. That is fantastic. And, and we're so happy. But I'll tell you what, God's... God's not a complacent God. And he doesn't expect you to be either. He wants you to move forward. So what I want you to do is I'd love if you would just bow your heads and, and we're going to take just a minute and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you today what he wants you to work on, what he can chisel away in your life. And he wants to say, I want to partner with you. Let's take a minute.
God, sometimes we we put stakes in the ground. We want to do the best we can to make those stakes be something of value. There's so many times that we put stakes in the ground and it's, it's really, really hard when we just try to do it by ourselves. In fact, it's impossible. But you're also not a genie. You love, I believe in that moment, you love seeing Zacchaeus climb up that tree. You saw a heart that was willing to be different. You take things such as donkeys and partner with us to carry your name to the world. You told the disciples, you told us to go out and make disciples of all nations. And what you were saying in that moment was exactly what you were portraying as you walked into that town on the donkey was, here's the deal, I want you guys to carry me to the ends of the earth. And if I can never, never chisel anything away in your life or change you to grow closer to me, or you don't set yourself up for the possibility to be willing to do that, you're going to have a complacent life. And it might be a life that is, is filled with, you know, happiness and all, and, and all that. That's great. That's, that's fun. But this life doesn't last. We know that. This life is temporary. The whole reason we're on this earth, God, is to carry your name. My challenge and my prayer today is that we wouldn't feel inadequate to carry your name because who we are is very, very much how you see us. I ask if there's anybody in this room, even one person today that, that knows there's stuff they need to change in their life because it's not bettering their relationship with you, would you just, would you convict them? You've convicted me so many times, God, and there's been so many times I've just pushed that aside and said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy right now. That's not the person I want to be. That's not the life that you called me to, and that's not the life you called us to, God. Please send us out today to carry your name to the world as we partner with you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you in. You are absolutely welcome here. In your amazing name, amen. If you could please sing, I'm sorry, if you could please stand and sing this last song with us. Oh, this we know. In James 4, 7 through 10, in the message it says, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet.
that we can do all things through you, that we can do nothing without you. I pray that we would go out this week with confidence in you, knowing that we can do anything that you call us to do. God, I pray that we would just go out this week and know it and believe it and live it and just know that you give us the strength to do all that you call us to do. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out today. We hope you have a great week, and I hope you have an umbrella with you because it sounds like it's raining pretty hard. So.